0: Welcome to Franchise Empires, where aspiring entrepreneurs learn exactly what it takes to become a successful franchise owner, from one location to 10 and beyond. I'm the Wolf of Franchises. All right, Wolfpack, we have another mailbag episode. If you missed the first one, uh, check it out. I got some good feedback on it. As a reminder, this is meant to be me crowdsourcing questions from you all via my newsletter, via Twitter or via my website if you want to fill out a form there. And I compile the list, so I try to answer as many as I can. I do like five minutes of preparation where I order the questions based on ones that either haven't been answered yet or by the ones that would provide the most value, hopefully, to you guys as the audience. Other than that, though, I answered all off the cuff, so I did it again in this mailbag episode. And I answer questions from the lowest-cost franchise that can generate 100K a year in EBITDA to... What franchises would I buy into today if I could? What franchises do I think have the best value proposition for someone with a W-2? You know, what are my favorite pet related franchises right now? And so on. So a lot of good questions as well as uh, someone asked what are the biggest red flags in the franchise space? So I go through that as well at the end. A lot of great questions, guys. Hope you enjoy. We'll be back again with this in a month. Enjoy. The Wolf of Franchises is the CEO of Wolfpack Franchising, as well as a creator at Workweek Media. All opinions expressed by the Wolf and podcast guests are solely their own opinions, and do not reflect the opinion of Wolfpack Franchising or Workweek. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The Wolf, Workweek, and Wolfpack Franchising may maintain positions in the franchises discussed on this podcast. Crushing your dinner rush is table stakes. You need the HR and payroll solution that keeps you and your staff prepped for tomorrow. Paylocity helps HR focus on your employees by making recruitment smarter and onboarding faster. Visit paylocity.com slash restaurants. All right, let's get into it, folks. I'll start with the first question. Cheapest franchise that can generate 100K a year in EBITDA. So... I don't love the word cheap. Look, every franchise is an investment. I don't think there's going to be any get rich quick scheme ever in the franchise world, at least from the franchisee side. You know, if you want to make a good return, you usually have to invest something up front. That said, I will say that my pick for this question would be Home Clean Heroes. So, not the sexiest brand, it's part of the Buzz franchise brands platform. Super great team there. I've, worked with them on some campaigns and really have gotten to know their team and they have a very responsible approach to franchising they have multiple brands that they've worked with and home clean heroes is a residential cleaning franchise so a business is not going anywhere anytime soon and the investment midpoint is roughly $95,000 and their corporate territory which has or so their corporate outlet which has two territories does about 270k in net cash flow. So right there, you know, we're seeing a 3x return from the investment midpoint and you know, of course it takes time to ramp to that and it is multiple territory so it's actually two franchise fees, but uh, overall right, I think in general if you want to look at, you know, the lower cost franchises that can generate that kind of cash flow, home services and non-brick and mortar franchises are going to be the way to go. And so the next question that I'm answering that comes from uh, Cole Simpson on Twitter. He's a good follow. He's always posting stuff if you want to check it out. It's what franchises do you think have the best value proposition for someone trying to make the jump from W2 to entrepreneurship right now? And for that question, you know, it kind of goes hand in hand with my previous answer, which is home service brands are certainly more attractive right now, especially for someone, right, trying to make that jump where, look, Brick and mortar businesses are definitely going through some pain right now. Construction costs are increasing, real estate costs are increasing. Labor, often, especially restaurant owners, have really been squeezed on the cost of their labor. It is truly a battle out there right now. And they require now even heftier investments. So if you're jumping from a W two, you know, your goal should be to you know, it depends on the situation. Maybe you've absolutely crushed it as an investment banker or a lawyer. And you have, you know, a mountain of cash that you can spend and it doesn't really affect your lifestyle. But uh, assuming you're not in that range, then you want to replace your income as fast as possible. And if you don't have a brick and mortar investment to make and you can build up, again, a territory based business, whether it's gutter cleaning, lawn mowing, residential cleaning, as I said before, you know, there's tons of options and and I'll self-plug here. You should go to Crockett.com if you just want to view, you know, the 2500 plus franchises we have on the website and download their FTDs, you know, get quick high level data points on them. It's a really great resource. That's why we built it so that you can easily find quick data points on franchises. You know, so home services, though, they're going to offer you that best opportunity to make a lower investment and replace that cash flow as quick as possible. And then from there, right, if you want to take bigger bets, perhaps you move into a brick and mortar franchise, but day one, You're jumping out of a W-2 and, you know, maybe you have a family and other expenses to account for. These are generally lower risk, right? Because it's not some trendy new concept that may or may not work. You know, it's usually these services that are tried and true and it comes down to more about what is the competition like in your local market and how well can you execute and how well are you suited to be running a business with a largely blue-collar labor force that requires you to, at least at the beginning do a lot of hand to hand combat and sales inside of the home. That's where you're quoting, that's where you're converting people from a quote to a sale. It's not glamorous, but they can be massive businesses. And you know another franchise called Rolling Suds. It's newer. The CEO, Aaron Harper, partnered with an existing power washing fran- or power washing business that wasn't franchising. Aaron brings that franchising experience and that corporate territory does about 800,000 in profit per year. It's been around for multiple decades, so don't expect to ever get there overnight. Aaron certainly thinks there's a chance that you can get franchisees in that realm quicker by systematizing things, but I'm sharing this more as an example just so that you can see, right, you can earn a very healthy amount of cash flow if you stay in the game for the long term. So moving on to the next question, it's also from Cole. It's, if you could buy into any franchise, what would it be? I'm going to keep this one close to the chest. So I will acknowledge the question. I appreciate the question. Uh, I'm not going to answer it for a few reasons. One, uh, I don't want to set off an accidental buying frenzy, which I've done before. You have promoted, by promote, I mean just organically talking about franchises on Twitter or in my newsletter, which, you know, I started this newsletter and Twitter account back in July of 2021 just by talking about franchises that I thought were interesting. And as I've continued to do that, the followers and subscribers have grown quite a bit. And so now I do have to be more responsible where I have to recognize the fact that if I talk about a brand, sometimes a lot of people will go and actually buy it. It's happened a few times. And yeah, I don't want to necessarily do that, especially if I'm looking to potentially buy it, which in this case, there are a few on my shortlist. So... I wouldn't want to sell out the territory on myself. And so perhaps later in the year, I'll have some announcements on this front. But for now, appreciate the question. I'm going to keep that one close to the chest though. So next question. Is there a strategy shift for owning one to two locations versus four to five locations? How much more overhead is needed? So the second part on the overhead definitely varies right on the brand, you know, in the industry. A uh, fast food general manager might cost more than a GM in home services or fitness. You know, it it really varies. There's also obviously kind of operator decisions you can make on, you know, do you maybe put some trust in a younger employee who has less experience because you can get a break on price, meaning you can pay them less because they don't have the experience, but maybe you think they have the potential and you can coach them and you arbitrage the situation a bit. I think that's pretty risky. A lot of times it doesn't work out, but I have seen people do that successfully versus just paying for a seasoned GM who you're poaching from another company and maybe you're just going to pay them 10 to 15% more to move the needle enough. So there's a few variables there for the overhead of this. But in general, the strategy shift from one to two locations or four to five, and I'm largely gathering this based on the, the dozens and dozens of conversations I've had with franchisees in the podcast, is that from one to two to four to five, you begin hiring either hiring directly for or paying, let's say, agencies for specific departments that you will no longer oversee directly. Meaning, let's just use marketing as an example. And and a good resource for this question is actually podcast season one with Gavin. Gavin, I apologize if you're listening to this. I'm forgetting your last name. Awesome guy. He's a franchisee in Ireland of F45. But I I believe I asked him this exact question is, because he built six F45 locations in Ireland pretty quickly. And, you know, I asked him, I was like, hey, like, what were the biggest differences from going from one to two and then two to six? So I think he went from two to six in you know, a, a pretty quick amount of time, like a year or a year and a half maybe. And that his answer, which is pretty much what I found with most operators, is, you know, he is overseeing the marketing, obviously for location one. And if they're doing Facebook campaigns, you know, he's running that. And it's him and maybe one other employee kind of helping him with that. But as you grow right now, you let's say you have three F45 gyms under your belt, open and operating and cash flow. And, you know, it's triple the marketing work, but now you have the cash flow where you don't necessarily, you know, as those locations grow, the responsibilities of the operator grows and the task list and to-do list is a lot bigger. So Gavin found it very helpful where he could now afford an agency. And, you know, most agencies probably cost 5K a month or, you know, so some retainer, it, it completely varies based on the amount of spend, ad spend that they're going to be doing and a lot of other factors. But let's just pretend that it's a smaller operation. You only have to pay 45K a month retainer for this marketing agency, and they're going to do the creative and run all the campaigns for you to drive customers to your stores or to get email list signups, which then you know, you send them some special offer. Maybe Gavin's making 90K for his first F45 location. You know, Paying over 5%, well, I shouldn't do, uh, I have a rule, no public math breaking it here, but let's just pretend like 5K is about 7% of the 90K in profit that he's making on location number one. You know, that is not justifiable expense. That's too much of marketing because we're not even accounting for the marketing fee that the or is probably charging them and, you know, any other marketing costs that may have already been built into the business. So at three locations though, now all of a sudden you're dedicating that fee towards 90,000 times three, hopefully. And you just have a lot more economics to support driving driving that cost. And so that's just one example, right? With marketing for your locations. And you can apply that to other departments, right? Maybe you hire a recruiting firm to help you with getting employees across your locations versus you doing all the interviews, setting up all the outreach on Glassdoor or any of these other you know sites where you're posting jobs. So generally that's the shift is you really have to start outsourcing or hiring for those broader roles that become more meaningful, right? As you go from just one business location to all of a sudden a growing organization. Great question there too. Next, I thought this question was interesting. Are American fast food franchises oversaturated? How would one start their own chain of franchises and stand out? So, It's funny. Are they oversaturated? I mean, this is America. I don't know if we're ever going to be oversaturated with fast food franchises. Is it crowded? Absolutely. There are dozens and dozens or hundreds of fast food brands, but who am I to say that there isn't room for more? I just think, you know, we love to eat in this country and I don't think that's, that's changing anytime soon. Certainly, right. People are becoming more health conscious but you look at the average unit volumes of fast food, especially the winners, a lot of them are going up. There's always winners and losers in this industry. You know, Burger King is currently experiencing pain and they're trying to do their whole Reclaim the Flame campaign. So there's ups and downs within the ecosystem. But, you know, overall, I, I still think there's room for more fast food brands. I think you definitely need to do a lot more work today to stand out. Right. Like, I don't think you know, you can just start a restaurant with the same menu as Burger King, Wendy's, McDonald's, Carl's Jr., and, you know, Whataburger and all these different restaurants and just expect that customers will walk in. You definitely need to think very intentionally about differentiation. I think a few ways you can do that is you can index your business and your restaurant concept around product. So let's say like the Raising Cane's approach, where, you know, the founder, Todd Graves, got a lot of grief for this when he was starting the business that where if For those who don't know, Raising Cane's one of the top averaging volumes of any fast food restaurant in the country. I believe it's four and a half to five million per restaurant, possibly more. Don't quote me again. I like answering these questions uh, on the cuff, off the cuff, that is. It's more fun this way. But they have only five menu items. All of them are, you know, chicken fingers and french fries. And the only other one that isn't, you know, they have a three, a three pack. You can buy six chicken tenders. Then you can buy like a 12 piece chicken tender meal for which would be, I hope for multiple people. And then they have like a chicken tender sandwich. So everything's just their chicken fingers. And Todd Graves got a lot of crap because they said, you know, oh, you're only going to build a restaurant on one single product? You know, that's never going to work. Like Chick-fil-A or KFC or all these other businesses can just add that to their menu in a second, or they already have a version of this and you're going to be out of business. And he said, no, we're going to do chicken fingers better than anyone else in the country. And that's all we're ever going to do. That's all we're going to focus on. And he has never deviated from that strategy and they are absolutely crushing it. He is a billionaire now, Todd Graves, the founder of Raising Cane. So maybe there's an opportunity like that today where you pick a product that isn't just a cheeseburger or a chicken sandwich because that's been done a hundred times over. And you just have that laser focus and you make it so good that people keep calling back for it. And then you build that reputation, right? as. You know, everyone knows Raising Cane's, you know, it's a bit of a regional brand coming from the Northeast. I didn't know it until I moved down to Texas in Austin for a year, but anyone who is in Raising Cane's country knows them for their chicken fingers, right? Cause that's all they do. So there could be an opportunity for you to build a business around a core product like that, that isn't necessarily a core focus of the big boys, like the McDonald's of the world. Other option is you can index this around quality. So I have been looking for concepts like this. There's a few that do it, none really franchising too much yet of this, you know, what I would call like a better for you burger. You know, look, people are eating a lot of fast food, but at the same time, it's no secret of how unhealthy this food is for you. I had a great conversation on the podcast with Jesse of Swizzlers, which is a not a franchise, but he has multiple locations of that bit burger business in Washington, D.C., And he is trying to disrupt it and doing a great job. However, through Swizzlers, he found another opportunity to build kind of a direct-to-consumer slash CPG brand within uh, French fries. So it's called Spuds. So he's kind of gone off on a different path. But I think what he was doing with Swizzlers was phenomenal. And if he ever does come back to try to maybe franchise it, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. But to just build a healthier burger, right? He, you know, Swizzler's messaging was never, hey, I'm going to come out and be the best burger or, you know, we're a healthy burger. You know, it their marketing is honest and saying, hey, it's a cheeseburger. You know, if you want to be healthy, you can eat a salad. But this cheeseburger doesn't have dozens of chemicals that, you know, McDonald's and Burger King and all these other fast food companies put into it. You know, and just for context, you know, there's an ingredient in the buns of McDonald's that it's actually illegal to use this chemical in California and it's illegal to in all of Europe. So there are definitely some really, really, really bad preservatives being put into this food. And just yeah, a healthier, leaner burger concept I think could do very well. There are some plant-based versions of this. I don't necessarily think, you know, I've changed my opinion on that. I don't know if an all plant-based menu is needed. I think, you know, there's a lot of people who want to eat meat, and, you know, especially not everyone wants to eat the lab grown meat you know, now there's almost like news reports coming out and speculation of, well, like, you know, what are the long-term effects of the lab grown meat? So I'm not as bullish on that. I think it's still a good alternative. Again, you know, look, I'm not a nutritionist, not a doctor, so please don't take this as, you know, nutritional advice. But I'm just kind of regurgitating what I've seen from the media, as well as, you know, feedback from operators and even customers in the You know, I don't think of an all-plant-based food burger franchise is going to scale to hundreds or thousands of locations. I do think just, hey, a healthier, or let's call it less toxic, far less toxic fast food franchise could absolutely crush if you get the branding right, the menu right, and all those other aspects. So long answer, but love the question. Crushing your dinner rush is table stakes. You need the HR and payroll solution that keeps you and your staff prepped for tomorrow. Paylocity for restaurants and hospitality helps HR focus on your employees by making recruitment smarter and onboarding faster. Plus tools to train and engage staff whenever and wherever they work. Focus on what you do best. Go to paylocity.com slash restaurants. Next question. What are some pet related franchises you're excited about in 2024? Really, really good question. So look, the pet space is, I used to work directly in it. I worked with a pet franchise that we grew, or at least we awarded a hundred plus franchise units. The team there has hit, unfortunately, a lot of roadblocks uh, on the franchisor side. However, I would say for one, I just took my family's dog to Canine Resorts, which this is a much higher investment franchise. It's 1.8 million to 2.4 million. The revenue is about $1.9 million in the FTD with a profit of around 575 k Super phenomenal operation. The one we went to in New Jersey. Really clean, beautiful building. I mean, it's called Canine Resorts for a reason. It's basically like a five-star hotel for your dog or cat. I believe they do cats. I could be making that up. But it was just really amazing. And not to throw shade, but we went to a Camp Bow Wow in New Jersey. And it smelled horrible. Yeah, you know, Our dog came back. Very off, let's say, and he ended up having some medical issues after the visit, which you know could have just been bad luck. So I'm not saying there was this location fault, but the whole experience, right from just the where the location was, the quality of the interior and the exterior, and again, you know, a very you know gross scent, not a clean building at all, and just you know rubbed us all the wrong way. And i comparing that to now Canam Resorts, where he's been, our dog Chief has been three times, just a much much better experience. And, you know, from the cleanliness of the floor and the painting, you know, these are all aspects that just make you feel better about leaving your pet for multiple days when you're on vacation or away for a weekend. So, and I, of course, just had to check out the FTD and I was very impressed by the numbers, getting bigger, bigger expense to build. So that's not for everyone. It's only for the higher net worth individuals. But to me, they're operating a space where not many dog daycare brands are, are building you know, businesses of that scale and that quality. So I think it's a really, really interesting concept. I'll add to that though, ScentHound is phenomenal. They've been growing a lot. They've got multiple hundreds of locations sold. So, you know, the core markets may be sold out depending on where you live, but really, really awesome concept in the pet wellness space. They do dog care and grooming services, but the founder, Tim Vogel, was on the podcast. I highly uh, recommend you just searching for that episode on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, again, that's Tim Vogel of Scent Hound. You can learn all about the concept. Their numbers are, are solid, but I just think it's a concept that's set up the longevity. And Tim's got a really interesting viewpoint and long-term perspective on what pet owners care about. And he's very much building Scent Hound and all their franchisees to be able to capitalize on that, you know, and basically be the ultimate wellness stop for a pet owner who, you know, dog dog owners and cat owners really, really care about their pets more you know, today than perhaps in the past, and it's treated as a member of the family. So I'd say Canaan Resorts, Scent Hound, and then another dog daycare brand, Houndstown, I thought is also pretty interesting. Pretty solid numbers in the FTD. However, again, with any franchise, I will be a broken record. Speak to the franchisees. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to a broker. Don't listen to anyone else. You know, for the most important opinions, franchisees are who you should be going to. And, you know, they've already made the investment they are the ones who will tell you how it is, speak to as many of them as you can, and you should be able to really validate whatever it is you're hearing from the franchise or team and reading in the FTD. Okay, quick one. How frequent do operators also own their real estate? Anecdotally, I don't really have data on this, but just from my conversations, not many. You know, it's rare for me to find franchisees that actually own their real estate. Real estate's already purchased by some real estate conglomerate. And so, yeah, you're at the mercy of the landlord and a lot of the prime markets, you know, any big city and any of the suburbs surrounding the cities. I have met people who are not, you know, in tier two, three or four markets that have been able to buy their real estate. And of course, if you can, no brainer, go do it. You know, it uh, makes your portfolio a lot more attractive over the long term. But yeah, it's a more often than not, most people are leasing the space. So the next question, what are the key operational attributes needed to make a concept a good franchise contender. Any case studies on success or failure converting from company-owned to franchise model? So I'd say honestly, I don't, I don't want to you know spend too much time on this. I believe I answered in the last mailbag episode, but if not, I definitely wrote a newsletter on this that answers it and covers it in much more depth than I ever could in this quick answer. So if you search, and I'm pulling it up right now, so it's September 25th, 2023. The title is Updated Criteria to Evaluate Emerging Franchises. You can access that on woefulfranchises.com. Click newsletter and then scroll down to the newsletter, which the titles are, you know, dated. So you'll see the one from September 25th, 2023. That's the newsletter. I'm writing that for franchise buyers and franchisees looking to buy another franchise, but the you know, it's two sides of the same coin here. So What I think franchise buyers should look for is also what I would recommend franchisors should be considering to make their concept a great business for franchisees to buy into. And yeah, so last question here. Oh, this is a good one. And this is coming, he's anonymous on Twitter, but this is coming from a current franchisee. He says, there is so much snake oil in this space. What are red flags? Really good question. I unfortunately agree with this take. I have a love hate relationship with this industry at times. There is a ton of snake oil and it's very frustrating. So, right off the bat, if a sales rep at a franchise brand or a company that is, you know, helping a franchise brand sell their franchise, if that sales rep is doing projections for you, whether they're sending Excel spreadsheets, Google Sheets, you know, sharing over video calls, projections with you and, you know, filling out pro formas for you, that right there, that's a huge red flag to me because anyone who has, some level of experience in the franchise world knows that that is a direct violation of the FTC rules about how to sell a franchise. So if the group's doing that, they're either ignorant and they don't know anything about FTC complying with FTC law or, and this is the more likely scenario, they do know and they just don't care. And why you know, would they basically leave themselves liable to being sued pretty extensively in the unfortunate event of a franchisee Performs really poorly and maybe they feel like they're misled. You know, franchise sales reps will do that because it just simply it increases their chances of closing a deal, getting commission for them and for the company that they work for. So that's why it happens. And there are some bigger organizations out there in the franchise world that this is this is a part of their sales process. And to me, it just shows a very short-sighted view on franchising where it's optimizing as much as possible for the sale of a franchise. And again, not optimizing for what actually matters and what makes this business model work, which is franchisees becoming profitable and being able to build businesses that last. That's how the royalty stream for a franchisor gets bigger and can survive and continue to grow. So right off the bat, projections are a big red flag to me. Along with that, anything advertised directly as a semi-absentee or absentee model Obviously, like I've had a bunch of franchisees in my podcast who build to become semi-absentee owners, but you cannot just start a business as semi-absentee. So anyone advertising that, it's all for just maximizing and optimizing for clicks. You know, it's a red flag to me as well. Beyond that, you know, there's a lot of tactics that I think sales reps use. You know, I'd say if there are, you know, some classic ones, incentives for making a quicker decision, you know, hey, we can expand your territory and discount your fees if you sign by the end of the week. That's a big red flag, right? They should not be using time and anything like that to pressure you into making a quicker decision. Also, the classic one that a lot of franchises use is, you know, they say that your city or your market is on their shortlist, right? For a desired territory, you know, a line like, hey, we're actively trying to open our concept in, you know, and then parentheses, it's your city, whatever that is. And they're just sending that to every single candidate. So most franchises, you know, 99% of them are not actually having some strategic growth plan where they're actively looking at specific markets. Like, yes, every brand wants to grow in New York, Chicago, LA, Dallas, you know, Austin, you know, name it, think of any big city, everyone wants to grow there. And so this is just a tactic to make it sound like, you know, that there is, that time is of the essence and that this is a really, really special opportunity so that's another red flag. I'd also say if they're using someone else who's maybe interested in your territory, while that can sometimes be true, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just pure fluff made up out of thin air. But it can be true. There, there can absolutely be two candidates in the same market looking at a franchise. But it should never be used to apply pressure or affect your decision making. So again, I just think franchisors that do this aren't being respectful of you of the decision that that you're evaluating making. And, you know, especially the decision is not just a single decision. It it affects you and your whole family, you know, the financial decision, but also the time investment what you're going to be doing with with your life, frankly, for the next three to five to 10 years if you buy a franchise. So something like that should never be used against you. I'd also say just general inability to answer questions directly, right? If you ask, ask a simple question, and it's just you know a five minute response that doesn't and that leaves you scratching your head. I like to keep it pretty simple. If that's the result of a simple question, that's a red flag. You, you know, and try reframing it or asking it bluntly again and saying, "Hey, I didn't really follow you on that. Can you just you know keep it a little shorter?" Because you'd be surprised. A lot of sales reps are fantastic at using smoke and mirrors to confuse people, but I think for this, this isn't a software sale. This isn't a fifty dollar vacuum sale. This is a multi six figure investment that really makes a difference in your life one way or the other, hopefully for the better. But like, you know, sales tactics are not okay like that for something of this magnitude. And I think franchisors need to understand the responsibility that they have with their concept and that they are selling an investment at the end of the day. So yeah, I'd say those are my biggest red flags. I'd also say i love a brand that I am affiliated with through an investment, Ace Pickleball Club. They're co-founder of that concept. Him and I used to work together we got him on the podcast. So you can hear from him. His name is Joe Sexton. They actually put this right on their website and talk about these red flags and why they don't do those things. So yeah, I'm mainly giving them credit because for some of those I read directly off their website that I pulled up because I remember uh, Joe went over it with me. So Joe, if you're listening to this, I gave you the credit that I didn't come up with half of those, but they are classic examples of, of red flags and uh, you know just in the franchise sales process that come up and things that you really shouldn't do. So kudos to Ace for calling it out and trying to do things uh, much more honestly. That's the type of franchises I'd hope to see more of. So yeah, guys, thanks for listening. If there you have any suggestions for this segment, type going forward. Obviously, feel free to reply to my newsletter, DM me on Twitter and so on. Great to hear from you, and I'll be back with this uh, in a few weeks. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Franchise Empires. We're coming to you soon with actionable insights to take the next step on your franchise journey. So make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen.